It is common knowledge that mental health services and facilities have come a long way over the past century. But it wasn't really that long ago patients were sent away for treatment in hospitals or asylums that were often far from therapeutic. Some patients were seriously ill in the midst of a grave mental health crisis. And some were sent away for merely being lazy, superstitious, politically or socially active, reading novels, having asthma, suffering the loss of a loved one, greediness, and my favorite, imaginary female troubles. But regardless of whether you were sent away for schizophrenia or jealousy, the institutions for healing were often worse than the illness itself. Beechworth Asylum in Victoria, Australia was no exception. Opened in 1867, the asylum was in operation until 1995. It only took two signatures from medical officials to be admitted to Beechworth, but in order to be discharged, eight signatures were needed. This meant that most patients were only ever discharged to the coroner's office. Life was grueling, sad, lonely, and even scary. The halls were seriously overcrowded. Solitary confinement was used as a treatment, along with straitjackets, lobotomies, shackles, and electric shock treatment. Medication was not utilized until the 1950s. So for the better part of a hundred years, patients were brutally subjugated to repulsive remedies in shocking conditions. It will be no surprise to you that Beechworth is a now popular tourist destination for ghost tours. And the ghostly encounters are nothing short of horrifying and heartbreaking. People report being touched, poked, or having their clothes pulled Of course, there are the cold spots and overwhelming feelings of doom and dread. But there are a lot of full-bodied apparitions as well. A male doctor is seen roaming the halls. An elderly gentleman has been spotted facing the wall, rocking silently, back and forth. A female spirit, known as Matron Sharp, is seen in her nurse's uniform, sitting by empty bedsides or hanging around the nurse's station. It's thought that she used to sit with patients during shock treatments, comforting them as their bodies writhed from the pain. But perhaps the saddest sighting is that of a woman desperately running around asking people for help, spending her afterlife in the same state of fear and distress as her former waking days. There is no question that life at Beechworth was a living hell. And for many patients, it's now their permanent perdition.
and welcome to episode 39 of the West London Witch, a podcast where we share stories about those moments where we find ourselves very much not alone. I think most of us here in the West London Witch Coven can agree that being a paranormal investigator is one of the coolest jobs ever. But it's not all crystal clear EVPs or fabulous phantom photos. It's mostly a practice of patience, serious discretion and debunking, and a lot of hanging around in dark rooms. That's why those precious moments of paranormal proof are so exciting and exhilarating. There's an Instagram account that I follow, H Haunts Paranormal, where investigator Hannah shares her paranormal findings. The evidence she has accumulated is so clear, detailed, and undeniable. I knew she had to come here and share them with us. Today's stories are truly haunting and backed up by some of the most incredible evidence I have ever encountered. I'm Rebecca Strazina, and this is The West London Witch. Episode 39... The Proof in the Paranormal. So I grew up in a small town in West Yorkshire called Saltair. Saltair was built by Titus Salt and he created the whole village for his workers and his family. So he had a textiles mill and all of the workers and everyone that worked there all lived together in this one small village. It's been photographed and filmed in shows like Peaky Blinders. Um, it's got the old cobblestones, the buildings are soot stains, so they're dark and um, it's a really, really old, fascinating, beautiful location. That's where I grew up. I lived there for um, probably the first seven years of my life. During that time there, I always grew up with spooky stories and having my grandparents tell me and my mum tell me, you know, go surreal, they're all around you. And um No, I didn't really think much of it as a child. You know, you don't, I've always had an affinity for the spooky things, but never really um, got too scared by it. It wasn't until I was older where I realized that maybe there were some incidences that I can remember that weren't explainable. Um, One significant one that sticks out to me the most is I had an imaginary friend um, and I called him Honey and he was a little boy. Uh, But as an adult, I realized that I could remember what he looked like. I can remember that he was in a sepia kind of tone. That's why I called him honey because he looked like golden orangey tone. He wasn't, he was a flesh and blood human. Like I could see him. I was playing with him. He had little shorts on and he was dirty and he had a little cap on, little cap on his head. And um, he would hide in my room and play around in our house. And um, as, an, as I became a teenager and I started to get more and more into the paranormal, I was thinking back on those times thinking, if that was imaginary, how can I be so descriptive? How can I remember and be able to think back on of these happy, happy memories of playing with Honey and have him communicating with me if it was all made up? I know kids have overactive imaginations, like they really do, but how can I now have that sort of as a core memory in my brain that that, that was, it was real, I was there. A few years later, Hannah's family applied to move to Australia. In between the big move from the UK, the family moved in with a relative, 
they all lived in a massive renovated church. It was a five-story building that had been converted into a private dwelling. We had three living stories, an attic and a cellar area. This one came with the authentic original autopsy slab in the middle of the room. Of course, churches during those times were used to store bodies or everything that happened in the the village would happen at the church. Everything would be centred around that. So weddings and funerals, everything would happen in the one building. So it had the original furnace down there. It had the original stone slabs down in the basement. Everything was original. Nothing had been changed in terms of the foundation of these buildings. So it was pretty harrowing. The thing that resonated with me as a child was I remember asking, what are all the cutouts on the table for? Like, what are all these channels here for? Like, what is this? And, of course, that would be what they would drain the blood through with. So, (laughs) This was a real transitionary period in both Hannah and her family's lives. They were preparing to move across the world. And that brought along a lot of excitement. But also fear and worry. As a, I was 10 at this stage, so there's a lot of changes going through when you're that age as well. Your hormones start to change, your friendship groups change, and then you have this overwhelming fear that I'm moving halfway across the world and leaving everyone behind. And um, I think that vulnerability, in my opinion, heightened a lot of energy that was in the home itself and activated it and brought it towards me. And because I was so open to that already during the things I'd already experienced as a childhood, in my childhood uh, with honey, um, that I was experiencing these things again, but I wasn't experiencing them in a positive way this time. It was quite scary. Um, Things would happen like just this overwhelming feeling of being watched and followed throughout the house, Um, having to go down to the cellar. We would, everyone would run. We would run up and down those stairs. It was a complete feeling of oppression in that place. It was really, really scary. Lights would turn off, TVs would turn on, the bath would run itself, doors would open and closed. You'd hear people coming up the stairs, but no one would ever come up. You would hear the attic was above my bedroom. You would hear movement up there, but we actually had no access to the attic. It was, we didn't know what was up there other than the other story being up there. So the fact that we could hear walking around, we could hear shuffling, we could hear just physical movement was not nice. It was very scary. And I really started to establish a bit of a fear based around it, based on my feelings of that house. Soon the family made it safely to Australia. Yet the first few years were fraught with serious loss. In the first year after the move, Hannah's grandmother sadly passed away. Then in the subsequent three years, another seven relatives passed. The family couldn't go back for all the funerals. Flights from Melbourne to London ranged from 22 to 24 hours long. And that's just the flight time. It simply wasn't practical at all. But um, within that first year, I was just starting high school now. I'm about 13. And um, yeah, my unfortunately, my grandma passed away. Um, we were really, really close. I never got to see her again after I left England. So that was pretty difficult to deal with, especially like I mentioned before, when you're a 13 year old girl, you're starting high school. There's a lot of feelings and emotions happening in life. And I was worried. It was already on my mind that the last time I felt like this, I was having 
pretty oppressive events happen at the other house. But I attributed that to the haunted house. That was, I've been a new life now. I live in Australia. Like there's no haunted houses here. I live in a 1970s suburban home now. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen here. One night, Hannah was sitting up in bed, reminiscing about happier times and thinking about her lost loved ones. When all of a sudden, something just didn't feel quite right. And I look up because I heard a noise and I saw this woman walk through my door. She walked, she didn't open the door, she walked through the door. She didn't look at me. She walked to the end of the room, to the window, turned around, walked back out, never looked at me once. I was sat there absolutely stunned. She had a bun. She had this long flowy dress on, but it wasn't like a, a, a ginormous dress. It was like a 70s, 50s dress, housewife dress, like it was down to our ankles. Um, I remember just being stunned by what I was seeing. I was, my thoughts were racing. I was absolutely terrified. I remember crying. I, I was so scared, so traumatized by what I'd seen for months and months and months. I couldn't look in the mirror. I couldn't be in the dark. I couldn't sleep. I was having problems eating. I know what I saw and I couldn't, I told my mum at the time, but we had so much going on um, surrounding death in our family that I was conscious of the fact that it probably seemed a bit too good to be true, but I know what I saw and it was absolutely terrifying. And to this day, even being an investigator and having several more experiences with apparitions, I've never seen something so clear, so coherent, so full-bodied in front of me since that day. And I truly believe that it's because of my heightened emotional state at that time that I was able to just completely connect with whatever this other being was. This experience horrified and haunted Hannah. She now wanted nothing to do with the paranormal. Gone were the days when a spooky story at a sleepover was fun. Hannah was now actively rejecting anything otherworldly. From then, three or four years later, we'll say I was 16, 17, and I um, saw an episode of Ghost Adventures or Ghost Hunters or some one of those shows. And it, I was so scared to watch it because I was thinking the lady's going to come back. She's coming back. She's going to know. Even though I was at three or four houses later, we'd moved quite a bit since then. I'd never had another experience since then. Um, <laughs> I was petrified thinking that I'm going to have this experience again. And I didn't. Um, but instead what I did is I decided to test myself and be, be brave, keep watching these shows and see what happens. And I kind of was daring myself to have this experience again like if you saw it again what how would you behave what would you do so I was testing fate a little bit um I watched everything I could possibly watch on the paranormal absolutely anything and I got this weird obsession with it that I still have now (laughs) once the spooky spark had been reignited This led Hannah to now pursue her fears with the same amount of zeal that she used to push them away with. When I was 18, I went back to England for the first time. 
and I got to have a good morning period, I suppose, and just say, have some closure on some of the events that had happened. So I got to really say goodbye. During that time, we were traveling a little bit. We did 18 countries through Europe. And um, while we were there, we went to Scotland. And I walked past while we were at Loch Lomond, there was a, an information stand. And I saw an event that night, a ghost tour. And I thought, this is my opportunity. I'm going to be a ghost hunter. This is what I'm going to do. So I plucked up the nerve with my uh, partner and I said to him, we, we should go. We should go ghost hunting. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we booked it straight away. We, we're going. I remember walking up to, to go to the location, absolutely cacking myself. I was so, so scared. So this was the underground vaults in Edinburgh that we decided to do. I don't know if you know much about them, but you basically, you go into into a building to go down underground into the vaults. Like I said, I was really nervous. I was, <laughs> I thought, why am I doing this to myself? You know what happens when you do this? You see that scary lady, you're going to see her again, weighing on my mind this whole time. We hear some of the history about the place, which is fascinating. So, so, so cool. And, um, one of the guides is saying, oh, girls need to go on this side and boys need to go on this side in one of the rooms. So we separated. And I was like, don't you leave me. Where are you going? <laughs> get back here. We split sides. And I start to get really, really hot, like sweaty hot. And it's Scotland. It's not hot there at all. So I take off my jumper and I've physically got sweat on my head. Like I'm sweaty. It's about 16 degrees, which is not hot at all um my partner he said he's also feeling the same i'm looking at him and he also takes off his jumper like like we cued each other to do it like unreal it's so cold for everyone else but we're sweating the guy comes up and he says is everything okay like are you okay are you just nervous like i said i don't know i'm just really really hot i feel okay but he goes oh there was a historically there was a fire in this cell and over 40 people died here and we do have on occasion guests get manipulated by energy where they feel like they're overcome with heat. The moment I left the cell, I was freezing again. This was a pivotal moment for Hannah. The moment when experiencing the spirit world wasn't just scary, but rather fascinating, interesting, and totally captivating. Now Hannah leads ghost hunts all over Australia and her evidence collection and EVPs are truly second to none. Um, the place where I like to frequent the most, um, it's only a couple of hours drive from where I live in Geelong. It's called Geelong Jail. The jail always presents different kind of evidence to me. I've had nights where I've had nothing happen and I've been there for 10 hours. I've had nights where I've been there for three hours and I've wanted to cry because I've experienced so much things. I don't know how to process what I'm experiencing other nights is one that one or two things, but not too bad. I like to take a lot of new people to the field to Geelong Jail because it's a good introduction to this is what we do as ghost hunters, as paranormal investigators. One night in particular at Geelong Jail, uh, we, my partner and I were looking over down on the bottom floor when we see this white mist emerge from a cell. I looked at him and he looked at me. Then we both looked back at it because we were like, what is happening? 
this mist was like a ball of light that came out of the cell into the walkway and then went back in. We both looked at each other. Oh, my God. We ran down there. I thought maybe someone had a torch. Maybe someone had a vape. Maybe someone had was smoking inside. I needed to see if I could prove that it wasn't a man-made thing. I needed to see because no one else saw it except for us two and I didn't have a camera, didn't have anything on me to document it. So I ran, we ran down there, absolutely nothing. No one's around us. No one's there to also prove it, you know, just each other. But that was a really awesome experience there. I've also had some pretty compelling EVPs there. I've walked into a cell and I've in, I always introduce myself when I go into a building, especially when I've been there multiple times, because I think it's just polite and respectful. So I always shout out, hey, guys, it's Hannah. I'm back. You remember me from last time. And I get this EVP that says, Hannah, come here, please. But the EVP itself is in a really thick Australian accent really, and a man's voice. Hannah, come here, please. And then at the end of that, it says, hey, bitch, get out. Have a listen to this EVP. It is absolutely chilling. I've got another one there where I asked how does it did it feel to live there? So the Geelong jail wasn't always a jail. It was also part of reformatory school. So they had young girls and young women living there opposite these rapists and murderers. Not a great scene and not great planning. But I asked in the female side of the prison, how do you feel living here? And then I get a woman's voice that said, I'm fearful. I feel like the more I've been there, the more I've been able to communicate with the same spirits over and over. I asked the spirit once, can you tell me your name? And it comes back straight away. I'm Butch King. And Butch is a well-known spirit to roam Geelong Jail. Um, to have that name actually come through and validate that, that the historians there have been communicating with this spirit is phenomenal for me. I love being able to confirm that kind of evidence. As neat as these EVPs are, this next story holds the most terrifying piece of evidence I have ever encountered. And it takes place in the historic halls of the Beechworth Asylum. A couple of months before this investigation, I caught a full-body apparition in a photo of this only ghost photo I've ever taken and can't debunk. I was in the bullpit, it's called, which is where they would house all the young men and boys in this building. The whole group of us were in there. It was about 10 of us this night. And I just thought we'd come out. We're locking doors as we go behind us because that's what you do. You make sure the building's secure before you leave. Um, I looked up. I thought I saw something move. I just snapped a couple of photos and I looked back and there was a clear as day, someone standing in the window looking back at me. Make sure you head on over to the West London Witch Instagram and Facebook page to see the photo of the woman in the window. So the major event, the peak of my paranormal career, I suppose, uh, also happened at Beechworth. We were doing a 12-hour. We were doing 7 p.m. till 7 a.m. And those nights can get pretty draining. Um, but we like to wait till around that 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. time because we do find that the lower our energy get, that gets, 
the higher the energy of the buildings get. So it's almost like it's been feeding on our energy all night, dwelling and trying to brew up something for us. And then it hits real hard and we have to perk back up for it because we're ready. So the facility at the time, Beechworth, they were offering a jacket challenge, which meant you would put someone in the straitjacket and then leave them in the most haunted building of the facility. That was a big no from me. I was not about that. But one of the people that I was with on tour had asked if he could participate. I'm not one to say no. If you want to challenge yourself in that that way, you do that. So we obliged. Uh, We put him in Grevillea, which is the most haunted or reportedly most haunted building at Beechworth. It's the men's criminally insane ward. Um, And we left him in there. We put him into the room. Grevillea is a long building and it's a, a narrow building, not too wide, but long and what it has is half of the wall is concrete and half of the wall is glass so wherever you were you could observe your patients in the in the area we left him in this main big mess hall room and we sat him down because he needed some assistance because he's in the straitjacket left him in there we've closed the door on the left which takes you to a big long hallway which i'll talk about in a moment and then there's a door which we came through which leads onto the bathroom but we closed that door We close the hallway door. As I'm about to go out, I drop a DVR on the floor, which is a digital voice recorder. This is just a normal dictation recorder. And what it does is when you are analyzing it after the fact, it'll tell you in sound waves and in colors how far away you are from a recorder. So if you're really too close, it's red telling you that you're too close. And if it's a good quality, a good distance, it comes up in blue sound waves. So pretty simple device to use. We put In the surgery room, which is like a diagonal to where he is, we leave two other girls in there. They said they wanted to make sure he was okay, which I was happy with. I don't really like leaving people alone anyway for safety. These buildings are exposed to anyone can come in, so it was really good that they wanted to stay. And they have a full view of the adjacent corridor, which is a long corridor that runs the length of the building. The girls are locked away, and all the investigators are now safe in their respective investigation spaces. Hannah and some other team members are in the building next door, conducting their own investigation. When all of a sudden, she hears the most ear-splitting, blood-curdling scream she has ever experienced. The whole group jumps up. The guide's running to the door. I'm running to the door. It's coming from the next building, from Grevillea. We run over there. The girls are banging on the door because we had to. we just had to keep them in because... We wanted them to be safe. We unlocked the door. The girls come running out. They run straight to their car. They wouldn't speak to us. They were inconsolable, like hysterically crying. We had to go get our friend from the back room. We picked him up and he goes, what happened? I don't know what happened. I said, you tell me what happened. I don't know. I thought you'd hurt them or someone had hurt themselves or someone had broken in. And he's like, no. All of a sudden the girls started screaming and I don't know why. So, okay, go to the cars. This is about, I don't know, 20 to 4 in the morning probably, quarter to 4 in the morning. I go to the girls, give them a drink, give them something to eat. I said, just tell me what happened. I need to know what happened because if there's someone in the building, oh, it's not safe. I need to, we need to know. The girls said that they'd been getting a really creepy feeling and they thought they heard footsteps from the guy. And they said they thought they could see movement. They thought something was going on from where he was at. So they're looking over, they're looking over. 
but all they can see is a small view from the hallway behind them because there's no access because obviously it was a surgical unit. Um, it's also pitch black. That's another thing to remember. There's no lights in there. It's really dark. They said they looked over this long corridor that I described before with the individual recovery cells has got direct access to the outside. So there's a, the lights from the outside are shining in. So you do see some things. They said they looked over there. They saw a woman looking at them and then she charged at them. She ran at them. And from that is when they screamed because they thought someone was coming to get them. They said they didn't see who she was. They didn't see her face. They just said it was clearly a silhouette of a woman running at them. So I'm thinking, I don't know what you saw, but I know I've seen different apparitions myself at this place. So who knows what you saw? My friend in the back said he didn't see anything. So I don't know. You know, it can't have been anyone in the building. We did search the building as well, just to be sure that there was no one in there. No one was in there. Once Hannah was home, she began to meticulously sift through all of the audio and video evidence. But nothing in all of her years as a paranormal investigator could possibly prepare her for what the technology had captured. I saw this big chunk of activity on a voice recorder, which I don't normally see. So I skip forward to it and I see it's all in red. And I think, what? Who would have done that? Like no one's been there to, no one speaks into these DVRs. I play the sound bite. It is one ginormous screen, a massive, massive sound wave of scream into this recorder, followed by two girls screaming. My friends are the two girls screaming, but there's this first initial sound burst of scream into this recorder that I can't explain. That guy was in the room alone. He didn't hear it. He was in the room with a DVR. He didn't hear that scream. The girls, they didn't hear a scream. They said they saw someone running at them. I played this to them and they cried again. They got so, so scared. This EVP is loud, scary, and simply unbelievable. Brace yourself for the most chilling EVP we have ever, ever shared. For me, that is some of the most compelling evidence I've ever recorded. If I wasn't there, I'd be skeptical about how did you get that recording? How did you, how can you verify that no one was in the building or no one was in the room? I can verify all of that because I did it. I was there. I set up this experiment. I set up someone in a straitjacket who couldn't even stand up without assistance. I put in a DVR in a room that he didn't know about because I did it on purpose because I didn't want him to tamper with it. I set up two girls in the front of the building for his safety and to also make sure that neither of them were manipulating things. None of them knew that I put the voice recorder down. Then I get these two girls after 40 odd minutes of being in this building alone, so terrified that they will not stay any longer. We all called it a night after that, by the way, we were all exhausted and all a bit fried. And then I hear this after the fact, this class A, I would describe piece of evidence that is undeniable to me that there was a spirit there communicating with them, 
both visually and audibly that I've caught and I love it so much. Hannah stressed to me over and over that she's just a regular person. She's not a medium, psychic, or sensitive. She's just keenly curious and enthusiastic about the possibilities of the beyond. And that's exactly what makes her experiences so exciting. If Hannah can have these encounters, so could you. And if you're in Australia, you can even join her for a tour or an investigation. Head on over to Hannah's Instagram account, H Haunts Paranormal, for updates on her investigations. And so you can keep up to date with all of her latest paranormal findings. As an investigator, now, my main priority is not to prove that ghosts exist, but it's to prove that there are so many other explanations first before we want to deem something as paranormal. I think far too often people attribute that creaky noise or that whisping noise that they hear to straight away, that's a ghost. And in my experience, 99% of the time it is explainable. There is always something that you can find. I've done hundreds of investigations and I always say, I think only five times I've had an actual event happen where I can't explain it and I don't know what it was. And that's not a very good ratio, but it's so true to me to know that I've done everything I can to debunk a situation or try and prove that there were some sort of physical cause for it. And I think that's so important because those, when those events happen that you can't explain, that's what I do it for. I absolutely love it. Do you have a spooky story you'd like to share? I'd love to hear it. Drop me an email at thewestlondonwitch at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at The West London Witch. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And come and follow us for additional content on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, merry meet, merry part, and merry meet again. The West London Witch is created by me, Rebecca Strazina. Our sound designer and production magician is the incredible Danny Cross. Our theme music was bespokely written and performed by the wickedly talented Kyle Hall. Our cover art is the beautiful collaboration between Lizzie Wilson and Jake Bowser. Special thanks to Missionade Bowers, our quality control and biggest cheerleader. And thank you to you, all of our listeners all over the world. These are your stories. Thank you for sharing them with us.